My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Today, my sermon title is Steadfast Patience, and I'll be speaking primarily out of the text that we heard read from the epistle according to St. James, the fifth chapter. The other day, about two weeks ago now, um, I decided to teach Isaac a very valuable skill, and that is how to play video games. <laughs> so, I downloaded a game called Super Pets, I think. And I'm like, all right, it's, it's time. Because he has an iPad, he plays games here and there. I'm like, I have a console uh, system. And uh, I'm like, all right, you can play games with daddy. Well, it'll be like a fun thing we can do on the weekend. He's like, okay. So I loaded up the game and I kind of showed him the controls a little bit. And I'm like, all right, here you go. And he proceeded to play the game very badly. Very, very badly. So I'm trying to, the dog, it's like these pets and they can, you know, they can fly and, you know, shoot, you know, lasers and batarangs and blow up robots. And I'm like, all right, this is how you do this. This is how you make them go faster. This is how you make them go slower. This is how their, their abilities work. Okay, dad. And he proceeded to, instead of flying in between the buildings, bump into the side of all of them or hit the, the trees that were in the way or the water towers that were in the way. And when you do that, you lose energy. When you lose energy, your character, the game is over and you have to start over again unless you hit the checkpoint. So me, I'm thinking, you need to get to the end of the level. And he's thinking, this is really fun, smashing these super pets into the side of the buildings and hearing them go, oh, ow, and hearing him like just roar with laughter doing this. So my patience level was slowly decreasing while his fun level was increasing. And upon reflection, after the fact, I was like, I, I should probably include this in the sermon somehow. And I got this text from the book of James. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is absolutely perfect. Because for him, I'm trying to tell him, no, don't hit the side of the building. But he's just trying to have a good time. He's just trying to have fun. And I'm approaching the game with, let's get to the end. And he's approaching the game with, I just want to have some fun. And both of those actually, they're not mutually exclusive. And we're actually called to have steadfast patience as Christians that get us to the end. They get us to the end. If you come on, on Wednesday nights, you'll hear us go through the book of Revelation talking about what's happening at the end. The patience that I lacked and the fun that he was having, we're supposed to actually have patience. But we're also supposed to have patience mingled with joy. Today is on the church calendar Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is a Latin word which means rejoice. Which means rejoice. Which is weird considering the readings that we heard this morning. But the thing is about patience. Have you ever had a, a friend or a family member who is impatient and then you said, be patient. 
did they automatically say, oh, yes, of course. And then all of a sudden they displayed the patience that you told them that they needed to have? Not once, especially if you have children. It doesn't work. Or like telling somebody who's angry, calm down. It doesn't really, doesn't really work. See, patience has to be learned. It has to be learned. And you only learn through experience. And the Christian life is one of learning patience, particularly patience in suffering, but always, as I said, mingled with a sense of joy. And St. James talks about a few things here in the text, and he mentions the farmer. He mentions the farmer. My grandfather, Grandpa Larson, was a farmer. And when I was a kid, my mom would pack us in the car, my, me and my sister and my little brother, I think he was born, and we'd go to the farm. And he had a big pond where we would fish and catch like bluegill and stuff like that and have, have fried fish for dinner. And he had, like, he had a little garden in the back where he'd go out and he'd cut fresh asparagus out of the ground. And we'd, we'd, we'd have a really good time there. Just He'd take us on the tractor and drive us all over the place. It was a really great time. We'd just run around outside. But... After he planted the seed, he didn't immediately then jump in the harvester and then try to, to harvest anything. Because if he did, he would have dug up all of the seed that he had planted. Right? James talks about here the early rain in, and the late rain. Both of those rains are needed for germination to take place, for the, the growth of the seed to begin to develop, to shoot, its, to shoot up out of the ground. In a way that a farmer needs to be patient for the seed that he is sowing to grow, we should also display the same type of patience. And then he says, establish your hearts. Some translations say, strengthen your hearts. The idea of establishing or strengthening our hearts is securing our heart, buttressing our heart, reinforcing our heart. Adding something to it to give it shape and structure and stability. And, and the reason why we are to do this is because St. James says, The coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. There's this expectation in the New Testament already that the, the return of the Lord is imminent. And we've been in that time of the return of the Lord being imminent for a few thousand years. And Advent is an interesting season because it's not just the coming of the Lord at Christmas that's emphasized. As you've heard through the readings throughout uh, throughout the season of Advent, the readings also focus on his return in glory at the end of time. Not just his incarnation in the womb of the virgin, but his coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to restore everything and to rule and reign with righteousness over all creation to bring true justice. And both of those Advents, his first and his second, required a great, and require, a great amount of patient expectation. Because, brothers and sisters, there's a very long time between God calling Abraham out of Ur and bringing him out and the Advent of Christ being born in Bethlehem. There's a big time period in there. And some of us say, well, if the return of the Lord is imminent in the New Testament, it didn't happen. That must have meant that they were wrong, and it's not going to happen. It's just a story 
that uh, they made to kind of you know control people or something like that. Everything in our, have you ever noticed that that everything in our culture is about power? It's about power. Everything is greeted immediately with suspicion because your motivations for doing something or wanting something, it's automatically assumed that you're seeking to have power over somebody else. But Christ, in his first advent, bypasses all of that, being born in the middle of nowhere to a group of poor people. He will return visibly and in glory with armies of angels behind him. But his first advent is small, seemingly unimportant. And if you weren't looking for it, it would have been missed. And there's a great deal of patience needed to get to that point. But there's also a great deal of the necessity for spiritual maturity to recognize that point when it comes. And same for his return in glory. We need to be patient. We need to expect it. And this patience is necessary because James brings up the idea here of, of suffering. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He brings up the prophets, right? So right away, this should make us think of the heavy hitters, right? Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, people like this. Jeremiah and Isaiah are, are given jobs to prophesy to people, right? To, to tell them, this is what the Lord says. And we have to understand, we have to kind of get it out of our minds. They're not, the job of a, of a prophet is not like a Nostradamus or um, Edgar Cayce or something, right? With this vague spiritualism that something is going to happen in 10 years, I can really feel it, you know? I have a, what's a Ghostbusters show? I have a strong psychic feeling that the world is going to end on this. No, that's not what a prophet does. The prophet of the Old Testament says, remember the covenant we made with God and he made with us. Remember how we all said, yes, you, we are breaking our covenant with God. He is faithful to us and remains faithful. We are unfaithful. Let's go back and renew our faith in the God that loved us and rescued us from, from slavery and death. That's what prophets do in the Old Testament. That was their role. And there is an aspect, yes, of foretelling what is to come, but it's always in that context of the Lord and what the Lord is doing, particularly around the sending and the coming of Jesus. And the prophet suffered, right? Uh, Jeremiah, while he's alive, he was thrown into a pit and kind of languished there, and they had to like you know rescue him and take him out. Isaiah tradition tells us, you know, he was he was he was murdered and he was he was cut in two. The prophet suffered because nobody listened to the prophets. If they did, then the Bible would read a lot different. There are some people here and there who heard their message and accepted it and took their call to repentance seriously. But by and large, the mission of the prophets on the, on the face of it looks to be like a failure because their society and their culture at large refused to listen to them, did not take their call to repentance seriously. And as a result, they eventually lost everything. And I can't help, brothers and sisters, if I can be kind of vulnerable for just a moment, I can't help but become, to, to despair at times, 
of our culture. Because in our culture, we've lost value for human life and for human dignity. As a culture, we've lost and we've thrown away the very moral underpinnings that have maintained it for centuries. We've lost the sense of what it even means to be a human being, male and female, created in the image of God. It makes me despair at times because as a Christian minister, these are things that the church should be about supporting. And the church, we are basically prophets to this generation. And sometimes standing up against what's happening or, or speaking out against this current generation will bring upon us great suffering. To not go along with our prevailing culture puts us in the same position as the prophets. The same position at the early Christians who refused the cultural and religious practices of the day. Right? The Christians, some of them were murdered because they wouldn't offer up an, a sacrifice to the emperor. And the sacrifice to the emperor was just incense. So there's even writers of the period saying, why don't you, it's just a pinch of incense. Literally a pinch of incense, you burn it like this, it's offered to the emperor, and no one will think that you guys are weird subversives. Many Christians today would take that pinch of incense and offer it to the emperor and say, well, it's okay, God knows my heart. Right? Many, and many people today would say, well, we have to be good neighbors and to love our neighbors. So I'm going to offer up this pinch of incense to the emperor because, you know, I'm trying to love my neighbor as myself. But not the first Christians. Not the first Christians. And it brought about great suffering for them. But here's the thing. And here's the thing for the prophets and for us. Right? As we endure suffering... Well, let me say this. The character of Christian suffering is a little bit different. Because our suffering is mingled with joy. And that seems weird to say that. But the character of Christian suffering is a, a type of suffering that's mingled with joy. Because we have hope. Right? That even though it looks like no one's listening to us, even though it looks like large portions of the church are being carried away by whatever the prevailing notion is of justice is at the time, no matter what's going on, right? We have joy that the Lord is coming soon. That those who refuse to hear our message of faith and love and repentance about God's actions in and through his son to redeem us from death and from sin, right? We can rejoice that even if it doesn't look like people are listening, even if it looks like everyone is turning against us, denying the faith, denying the scriptures, we can, we have hope that even though it looks like nothing is happening, God is always preserving the remnant. God is always preserving people. That God and the, whole, the, the power of the Spirit is always at work and there's more people being drawn than being pushed away. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean that the Spirit of God is not working in people's hearts even if we don't see it or identify it. Right? Because we want things to be instant. We want our pancakes to be instant. We want our oatmeal to be instant. We want our conversions to be instant. 
the Lord is compassionate and merciful, right? We have hope that suffering, whatever type of suffering we endure, whether for the name of Christ or for any other reason, it will not go on forever. That everything that has happened since the first advent of Christ and his second, all the suffering that we have or may have, all the suffering of the early church, all the suffering of the martyrs, all the suffering of those who stood for Christ, all of that suffering that has been endured will one day be transformed into joy unspeakable. So we heard from the, the text from Isaiah a few moments ago that we will enter into Zion with singing. Our sorrow gone forever. Our sorrow gone forever. There's a psalm that says, um, um, I think it's a psalm, you have turned my mourning into dancing. And that's why our hearts are established, brothers and sisters, in Christ. As our hearts are established in who Christ is, what Christ has done for us, his first coming as a small child, the union of divinity and humanity together, right? And then his coming again to, to redeem and renew and restore all creation. We can have joy. If our hearts are established in Christ and who he is and what Christ has done and his call to, to us to serve him, then no matter what happens to us, no matter what type of suffering we endure or have, all of that will one day be transformed into joy unspeakable and full of glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash zionsstonechurchrepairfund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.